go. Right, okay. So, James, if you've got a Bible or you see one in front of you, you've got like these bluey, greeny ones and they're all over the place. Can we look up James? I'm going to do it on my own, but I'll just uh, look up. So, James, you find it right at the back of the Bible. So, start at the back and come forward only a teeny, weeny bit. And on 1,213, you find the book of James. Uh, 1,213. 1,213. Right at the back. Teeny tiny book, so it's easy to miss it. Um, Some people want to miss it. (laughs) Do you know, when I was um, studying this the first time, it was like, oh, that's pretty hard hitting. But I think coming back to it to now teach it in church... I mean, man alive, he is a yeah, pretty straightforward kind of guy, isn't he? This isn't someone who's going to sit down and you know, give you a cuddle and say, yeah, it's all right, just carry on. No, he is a... Whew. You know, I remember when I first looked at James, I was only uh, 20. I just pretty much become... Um, started to follow Jesus, and I sat in an airport, and I was really worried about life, and didn't know what I was going to do, and my life sent a bit like I wasn't sure what was coming, and then I read um, the bit in James, I was sitting there reading James, as you do on the floor of the airport, and it said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow, and it was like, slap, (laughs) But it's actually what I needed. And sometimes we do, don't we? Sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves that actually we just need someone to say, stop, just stop right now. Stop and listen. And the book of James is, if, you, if you're not sure, or you're not familiar with James, it's one of the first uh, books of the New Testament to be written. It's considered to be really early on. Now, James, who writes it, is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And that puts us in a particularly privileged position because he grew up with Jesus. He heard Jesus' teaching. And this is the really interesting thing. At the time, he rejected Jesus. He rejected him. He would have been one of the brothers outside the house saying, let's get this guy. He's absolutely crazy. Let's take him home. And yet, by the time the resurrection happens, he's utterly convinced. And you can imagine how, um, how he feels out of this. You know, we think of Peter who rejects Jesus and how uh, he gives his life afterwards going, oh, what have I done? Imagine if you're the brother of Jesus and you did not see it. And yet now here he is resurrected in front of you saying, come, follow me. And James leads that first church in Jerusalem. And I want you to imagine the church, thousands of people have come to faith. They are Jews, they are Pharisees, and there are thousands of them. 
He's leading a mega church, we might call them today. And more than that, it's a cell mega church because they've been scattered, haven't they? Across the empire, the persecution is so great. Stephen's been stoned to death. They've been flung across the known world. And in small groups, they're sharing their faith, meeting together in homes, maybe in the, in the local synagogue if there is one. And he writes to them. And as one of the joys, I think, of James has been getting to know him. If you haven't um, read the accounts in Acts, then go and read them. Because this tells you about James and the church he's leading. This is when the, he's leading when the council meets to go, what, what are we going to do? We've got Gentiles here now. If it wasn't difficult enough already... We've now got Gentiles in the mix. What do we do with them? And he's living in this tension of a city that is uh, fiercely nationalistic. There is uh, the tension between the Romans, the zealots of the Jews that want to claim it back. There's the Christians in the middle that are heretics, uh, according to the Jews. You know, they've accepted this Messiah. And he's walking this balance of any one of his community could be murdered tomorrow. And he's living in that, trying to get those, uh, those um, bridges between him and the Jewish community. And into this, he writes, as we saw last week, about the joy in the trials. They are in the trials. It's not an option for them. Uh, they're also a poor community, Potentially, very much like people today who accept the faith from different faith backgrounds. They could be cut off from their family. That means financially they're on their own. Um, they might, people might avoid doing trade with them. Um, and on top of that, of course, they're under the Romans, so they're poor anyway. And he writes within this kind of mush, and you can see as you go through that there's tensions, not only outside the church, but within the church too. He writes um, quite a lot about how they talk to each other. Um, don't grumble against one another. Anyone who speaks against another brother. He talks a lot about the tongue, and we're going to hit it today as well and later on. So I want you to feel James. You know, he is in a very difficult situation, and he hasn't got time uh, in a way. You know, they are right on the front line, and he's like, you've got to live. You've said you're following Jesus. You've got to live it, and there's no, there's no middle ground here. There's no sitting out. There's no sitting on the sidelines. You've got to live it. So, so cut him some slack when you feel like he's just giving you a punch, because that is sometimes how you feel when you read James. <laughs> Um, some t- someone said, as a, said this, he said, there, there will be a recurring temptation to tame the powerful social message of this flaming letter, to domesticate it and clam its biting, all too relevant message into palatable terms. If the message of James is allowed to go unmuffled, it will rattle the stained glass windows. It is terrifying when you start this book. So I hope you've read it. Keep reading it. But put a, put a seatbelt on, and the seatbelt is the grace of Jesus. You're his. It's okay. He loves you. Right, so we'll start with, are you religious? Because today, he's going to talk about uh, religious people. Jesus spent a lot of time, his brother spent a lot of time talking to religious people, that it wasn't enough to just talk, but they had to walk 
the walk. And James picks this back up, back, back up. You'll see in James again and again, he repeats the words of Jesus. And I said to someone the other day, you know, we take it from Jesus a lot easier. But when we see it from James, we're like, what? <laughs> so watch out for that as well as you're going. Are you religious? I'm sure you're thinking no, because we, spend, we don't like the word religious. And we spend a lot of time saying, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I've got a relationship with Jesus. And that is very true. Those are true things. We do operate out of a relationship with Jesus, what we do. But we are religious. You're probably the most religious person, your friends uh, in your workplace or school place. No, you are religious. And why is that? Well, because this is the definition or one definition, there's loads, you could look them up. Manifesting faithful devotion to acknowledged ultimate reality or deity. I've kept it pretty simple. But it's about what you do as a result of the God you follow. Out of knowing Jesus, what does that look like? How does it manifest itself? What does it look like to follow Jesus? The problem is when we think about religiousness, we think of religiosity, we think of empty rituals, we think of uh, perhaps judgmentalism or discrimination or prejudice or self-righteousness or even cruelty. Yes, and they are really bad examples of religion. But it's out of what we believe about Jesus that we'll act. Okay, so let's get started because we want to say true religion is blessing, and not just for us, but for others. Let's read our passage this morning, and then we'll crack on. Okay, so our passage starts at verse 19 of chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay. So what I want to talk about this morning is active listening. It's really interesting because yesterday I was in a meeting and someone started with active listening. I thought, ooh, that's interesting. So active listening, pay attention, look who's talking, Do not talk, that's a big one for me. Uh, Ask questions, follow directions, and visualize what is being said. I like the last one, and I'll come back to that. 
active listening. A few, about 10 years ago, I started training as a counselor. And the first thing they teach you is active listening, to listen and be quiet and listen to what they're saying, to ask questions that allow them to talk more and you to continue to listen. But I'm not a natural at this. <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, yeah, we do. <laughs> um, I am the sort of person that can have an entire conversation where I talk and the other person talks at the same time for about half an hour. And people are amazed who watch this. The truth is, none, neither of us are really listening very well. The other day I went to the dentist, and the dentist numbed up all this part of me. And then I came here for a meeting, and boy, was I quiet at the beginning. But as the meeting continued, it wore off. And Andrew will testify that I got faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, speaking so desperate to say what I wanted to say. Now, I am super guilty of not actively listening. So if you're in my camp, be really, you know, you're, you're, you can feel safe with me. I am terrible about this. But it's easy for those of us that don't struggle with that to point the finger and think, yes, you do need to do that, Louise. But look at what it says in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note. He says, like, know this, sit up and listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. So if we're sitting there thinking, oh, it doesn't really apply to me, we're all in that camp together, every single one of us needs to actively listen. He says, be quick to listen. Quick to listen. It means, um, it means almost being on the edge of your seat for something. Okay, so you're actively listening. You're ready. It reminded me a little bit. There's um, something in the Psalms, in Psalm 123. You don't have to look it up. It's fine. But it, this really struck me. It reminded me of this. I'll find it. One, two, three. I really should have put a marker in this. But it was in the Psalms of Ascent, and it said, um, it was talking about um, sort of looking up to God, and it says, verse 2, as the eyes of of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, Till he shows us mercy. And it reminds me a bit of that. This active listening is almost like we are there. We're waiting on every word and command that is going to come from our master, Lord Jesus. So when we're actively listening to him, we need to be waiting, waiting. And I know for me, because I'm a big talker, particularly when I start to pray, I will pray aloud because I'm such a talker. So I'll often march around, and I'm talking and talking and talking, but what I actually need to do is actually be quiet. And it's something that I'm trying to discipline into my life, to wait, stop, listen, because I've always got way too much to say. I don't know if you struggle with that. And it talks about being going on in verse 19, slow to speak and slow to become angry. 
And I've thought about this, about my speech, and how my speech becomes worse and less thought through as I become angry. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument and you're just thinking, oh, for goodness sake, just listen. Will you listen to me? Have you ever heard that come out of your mouth or someone else's mouth? And it's because when we get hot-headed, when we start to get in the moment, we've stopped listening, and now we're just having an argument. And I will lay out everything that I've been sitting on for the last five years. And I will, if you're a woman, drag out that thing from 20 years ago, put it in front of you. Um, But we need to be listening slow to become angry. Okay. It's often in those moments that we start regretting what we said. But I think generally as a community, as Christians, we need to make sure that we are listening, not only to God, but to each other and others. Often we've got such a strong message we want to give to people that we haven't taken time to listen to them. So in every different area, whether that's listening to others, whether that's listening to each other within our community or listening to God, we need to be thinking, okay, I'm slow to speak, and I'm quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Whatever the situation is, whatever, however rightly justified we feel, we need to be listening. In fact, he goes on and says, verse um, 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We can be very quick to think, well, I'm righteously angry. This is a point I should stand on. And actually stop? No. Listen. And listen well. And when you thought you've listened, listen some more. And then listen some more. And then you might have a chance to make your point. And only then. What's he go on to do? So then he says, okay, well now you're listening. You've started listening to others. You've started listening to uh, people amongst you and your community. And then he gets to God's word. Because verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It reminds us here of Jesus' teaching on the parable of the sower, who sows seeds into our hearts. Are we ready to receive that seed? When we're reading the Bible, are we humbly accepting what it says? Or are we just sort of glancing at it? Or are we trying to talk at God the whole time while he's trying to tell us something? He talks about it can save you. And I don't think of that as um, salvation, as I'm, oh, I've trusted in Jesus, I've started following him. These people have started that. That's done. He's talking more about the wholeness and making you free and complete and whole. Um, save can mean to heal. And so he's, in James, he, t- he gives seven times, he mentions the word perfect. He wants his community to become whole, to become complete, to change, to go on, to mature. That's what he's aiming at. And so here, he says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I was thinking the other day, or I've heard it or something, that as Christians, we're very good at talking about stuff. We love to talk about what it means. We love a good meeting. Let's get together and talk about it. There's nothing wrong with that, but it has to go beyond the talking. We're not just talking. 
we're humbly accepting it and walking it. Okay, so then he gives an example. And we, and we know this. We've probably seen this a lot of the time. I've probably missed loads here, haven't I? Yeah, I always do. There you go. Whether you all are, slow speak, accept it. Get rid. Oh, I haven't done that. Get rid. Okay, so that's the action. He says, get rid of all and humbly accept. So you could talk about it a long time, but actually sometimes you just need to get on and do something, don't you? And the get rid is a bit like um, take off or um, strip. <laughs> Imagine your clothes are covered in lice. You get them off pretty quick. Well, he's saying, yes, get on with it. This is James all over. He's just like, don't sit there. Just do it. You know, he's a bit like that other we won't mention. So let's go on. Verse, um, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. We're very good at that, aren't we? Do what it says. We don't even want to read this verse, do we? We don't want to read it. Do what it says. No, I don't want to do that. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone looking who looks in the face in looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now you've seen this loads of time, but there's the little kitty and the lion. Everybody loves it. But when we look at the words of God, are we looking what Jesus looks like? That's what we see. We're like reading it and go, wow, Jesus was amazing. I just want to be just like him. And then you've gone and you've totally forgotten it. How often, and I am not judging anyone here, do we get to our house group and the first question is, does anybody remember what we were looking at on Sunday? I see there's so many people smiling and laughing because that is us. We're just really quick. We're quick, we just move on with our lives. But what does he say? Um, the next bit, sorry, 26. They, uh, no, no, sorry, um, 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And this is the big promise, isn't it? Because at the moment we feel like, oh, I've just got to do it. I've just got to do it. I don't want to do it. But look, he says, and whoever looks intently, and this is like to bend over. Uh, oh, let's go back to that. There we go. Here we are. So imagine, looks intently. is not like you've just gone, hmm, it's a nice garden. But you've got down and looked intently. This is what he's saying. Look intently at it. Don't just glance at it, but look intently into the perfect law, the word of God, that gives freedom. This is the promise, isn't it? It gives freedom if you continue in it. It says they will be blessed in all they do. The blessings and the freedom come from doing. It, it, it sounds bad, doesn't it? Because you think, oh, i just got to do, just got to do. But the blessings and the freedom, it's a bit like, um, I was just kind of thinking, you know, uh, if you're, um, you know that the blessings and the freedom is there, but it's quite comfy just here. Or it's not comfy, but that's change. The blessings and the freedom are there. Sometimes we just need to be humble enough that we need to change, that we need to listen. And a lot of the time we've got to admit, no, it's easier to think, oh, I'm sure this sermon should be listened to someone else. 
I can think of someone who'd really need to hear this verse right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we apply it to ourselves first. And then he ends by just giving us two little tests, just like a test. He's going to talk about these a lot more in his word, but he's just like dipping your toe in to get you started. 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And this is scary, and their religion is worthless. That word means empty. Quite hard hitting. And I was thinking about the tight rein on the tongue because I'm bad at this. And I thought it reminded me, like, we struggle a bit with the tight rein because we don't generally ride horses. Well, Hannah does, but that's about it, isn't it? Okay. But the rest of us, we're not really riding the horses, but we do walk dogs. Okay. So I was out with my friend the other day and she was walking her dogs. And I thought sometimes we think that we have the nice dog, the dog who walks to heel, la 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 la, the dog who doesn't eat rubbish, the dog who doesn't uh, do inappropriate things with other dogs. Um, we have that dog that, um, you know, when you call them, they immediately come back to you. They've not rolled in any kind of fox something that you wouldn't want them to. But, um, we don't have that dog. We have the other dog, okay? Uh, we think we can just go, that's a lovely day with my lovely dog. But no, we don't have that dog. And if I can put it in dog terms, James is saying, your tongue needs a seriously tight leash. It's got to be here. And it's pulling. And James is going to get on with that more. But there's a first little test before you get. How's your tongue doing? When was the last time it ran away with you? When was the last time you found yourself swept up in gossip, moaning about others? He talks a lot about this. And I did just the other week, so I'm just putting it out there. But James is saying, come on, get a tight leash on your tongue. And then finally, 27, another test. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep, us, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, looking after orphans and widows. You know, we don't think about that much because uh, we've got state benefit and things like that. We've moved on, blah, blah, blah. But actually... God is passionate about the marginalized. He's passionate about the vulnerable. Um, Right back at the beginning in Deuteronomy, when he gives uh, the law for the second time, he says, uh, he talks about, um, he talks the following, it's um, Deuteronomy 10, if you want to go there, and verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, and James is going to talk a lot about that. Everybody is on the same level. He accepts no bribes. And then he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing amongst you. He gives them food and clothing, and you are to love those foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Okay, so he's saying it right there at the beginning. It's not just a matter of rituals and 
going into the temple and sacrificing and all that, they've got to live it out. And he says it right from the beginning. And then in Isaiah, when he gets really cross with them, and if you've ever read Isaiah, it's absolutely terrifying to read, so I don't recommend it. But in right in chapter 1, all right, I do recommend it, but yeah, just stick with James for now because you can't take any more. Um, in chapter 1, this is what he says when he brings his uh, thing against the people of Israel. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And what does he list? Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What does Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't walk by on the other side. This is how we'll know that you are, you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. We don't get to just do this as a side thing. James picks it straight out and he puts it here, and so did his brother Jesus. And then it talks about to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I thought sometimes we can think this is out of the world, like we'll just put the world over there. That's not what Jesus said. Remember, I said in the world, but not of the world. But the pollution, if you think about pollution in Southampton, we can't see the pollution. We don't always feel the pollution. But it is damaging our bodies slowly. And when we're polluted by the world, it's not that we've gone there, but I think it's about our our attitudes It's about the way we treat other people. It's where our compassion comes in. You know, if we believe that that's someone else's problem, when we judge people, when we're prejudiced against people, when we don't welcome people, and James is going to talk loads about this, so I don't want to get into it too much because he's going to sock it to us in next week. But he's just touching it today. Now, what we've read today is like James's intro, introduction to where he's going. But let's just pause for a minute. You know, these people, they knew what it was to follow Jesus. They knew his grace over their lives. And that, we can't take that away from us. Jesus loves us. We are accepted. We are chosen. We are redeemed. We have those things. And out of that joy, we're going to now live the life. And James is going to give us it in very practical terms. So let's just pause for a minute. And what I'm going to invite you to do is just look. If you've got the word open, just look at it. Because James is inviting us to listen. Actively listen. What is he saying today? If we go back. Can I go back? To actively listen. Have we paid attention? Do we know that Jesus is talking? Have we zipped up and said, speak, Lord, your servant's listening? Do we ask questions? I find that confusing, God. I'm not sure what that looks like. Are we following? And I like this. Visualize what's being said. Visualize what it would look like if us as a community, if we were like that. And I'm not saying we're all bad. We do, you know, we've spoken today about things that we're involved in, social action, the way that we're caring. We do care for the lost and the lonely, the widow, the orphan. We, we're doing those things as a community. But that might be just something for you. So just spend a few minutes. What is God saying? What do you need to actively hear today? <laughs> 